0: Well, on the surface, this world of ours seems to be made up of two categories of people. Two categories. The haves and the have-nots. Those who seem to be the most likely to succeed, to get ahead, to have the opportunities, and then those, and it's usually the majority of us who feel this way, who are the least likely. And... and we really learn about these two categories of people all the way back in the early stages of our life during our school time. And some of you I know are still in school. I mean, we celebrated the people who are the most likely, and then there were the rest of us. We learned this in our annual school yearbook. Do you remember? I mean, every year they'd distribute this yearbook, and all of us would go through it looking to see if we were anywhere there, and no, we weren't. That was for the somebodies, right? The the only way most of us got in the yearbook is if we joined one of those unbelievably popular clubs like science, chess, or glee, you know, one of those things. And and so we, we just we learned there are somebodies and nobodies. There are the most likely and the least likely. And I, I really don't mean to brag, but when it comes to the annual yearbook, I I had a full page spread in ours. I I was voted most likely to be in prison. And it um, was a really great opportunity for me, but seriously, the way we experience life early on, it's easy to conclude that some people are significant and then there's the rest of us. It's easy to come to the idea that there are some people, and there are very few of them, who are big and worthy of being celebrated and, and paid attention to, and then there are the rest of us, and we're just small. It's easy to come to the idea that, that our lives don't really matter all that much. And no matter what we do, we don't have the potential to make a difference. Difference making is for the most likely. So it's easy to start feeling like, like we might as well stop trying. There's no reason really to dig in and work hard at this just to exist in life. And that's, let's be honest, that's what many of us do. We get up, we exist, we go to sleep. We get up, we exist, and we go to sleep because we're a part of that big group of the least likely. But we can't give in to this because God uses the people that most people in our world never notice. That's who God uses. God is not looking for those who are in the yearbook as the most likely. God is looking for, For the people he made to do simply one thing, to trust him. And when they trust him, they become the most likely. And a great example of this is seen in a guy we know as King David. Now we know him on the back end of his life. And so we see him as one of the most likely, worthy of celebration. He's the one in People magazine, right? I mean, this is the guy that killed Goliath the giant. This is the guy that they sang songs about. Saul killed thousands, but he killed ten thousands. This is the guy who became such a great king... In Israel, that every other king was compared to him. He's the most likely, right? No, no, he wasn't the most likely. He was the least likely. Saul messed up, and so God told one of his prophets, Samuel, that he needed to go and anoint another king, and that this king was going to come from a guy named Jesse's family. And so Samuel went and said, Jesse, bring all your sons, because one of them's going to be king. And he brought all of his sons but one, David, little shepherd boy. Even his dad didn't think he had the stuff to be king. His dad wouldn't even sign his yearbook picture. That's how messed up this guy was. And, and, and so he wasn't even invited to the party. And Samuel shows up. And one brother after another looks like a king. I mean, they have the stuff. They're the most likely. And Samuel keeps going, this one, God. And God said no, this one, God. And God says, no. And finally, Samuel says do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, well, yeah, but you don't, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in a country where he was king. And Samuel says, bring them, and he brought them, and God says, that's the one. God's not looking for the people this world thinks are the most likely. God's looking for the people who have the right heart, who trust him, likely or not. In fact, look what he says to Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. He was talking about the sons that look like kings. I've rejected those guys. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's yearbook is going to look very different than our high school yearbook or college yearbook. Because God's not looking for the ones the world celebrates. God's looking for the ones that have the heart of David. And that's where Esther comes in. In this series, The Unlikely Heroes, we are going to be looking at characters whom we would never believe could become the heroes, but these are the people God uses, and the reason it's important for us to understand that is because we are those people, and God's looking to use us, and all we have to do is what they did, trust him. This weekend, we're starting with a woman named Esther, and some of you might not even know this. There is a... Old Testament book, an entire book in the Old Testament called Esther. It's her story, and I'm telling you, it's a great read. You should read it to which you're going, well, where is it in the Old Testament? Google it. (laughs) I mean, really, find that book, Esther, and read it. I can't tell you the whole story, but I, I need to give you the synopsis so that we can learn from her. She was a Jew in a world that despised the Jews. She was seemingly born in the wrong place at the wrong time with no luck at all. Israel, the Jews had been defeated and many of the people of Israel had been taken as captives into these worlds where not only were they not respected, but they were despised. And that's the world Esther was born into, but it got worse for her because she then lost her parents. She was orphaned. And one bad thing after another, her life so messed up it appeared that it would have been easy for her to believe that her life didn't matter, that she was one of the insignificant, the least likely, the small people of the world, that that even God deserted her. I mean, come on, look where he had her born, and look what he did with her parents. He must not care about her either. But she didn't allow herself to go there, as so many do. And because she kept trusting in God no matter what happened in her life, what her experiences, God ultimately used her to save all of his, his people in this foreign empire. She, the most unlikely of people, a little orphaned girl, becomes the heroine of the story, the unlikely hero. But of course, she didn't do it alone. And you need to know one of the reasons the most likely ultimately don't accomplish what we think they should is because they think they're so good they can do it alone, but that's not true for anyone, and Esther certainly knew that. She needed someone, and, and I need you to know that, that it was someone you wouldn't expect. She had a cousin who was enough older than her that he actually decided that he would make the investment of his life to become her adopted dad, and he raised her, and showed her commitment and showed her character and influenced her in such a way that ultimately she never failed to trust God in a big way and ultimately became, now this is just such an odd deal, the queen of the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was the world power of the day and she was a nobody among nobodies who was orphaned and she became the queen of this empire and significantly impacted the world and it came from one place. She trusted God no matter what it seemed the world was like. The king she married was Xerxes, the ruler of the world, basically, then. His kingdom was vast. It went from what is now in a portion of modern-day Pakistan, used to be a part of India, all the way over to the upper Nile region, you know, the Egyptian and Ethiopian areas of the world. And, and through a very odd set of circumstances, she became his wife. But it's important to know that his wife had no power to be the queen of the Persian Empire was that you were simply a beautiful trophy wife and if you would ever approach the king uninvited you yourself would be killed and that's exactly what her story demanded that she take the risk even maybe to lose her life to make a difference in the world she understood that she wasn't given the position of queen So that she could be comfortable, she was given the position of queen so she could do something. And many of us have been given, in fact all of us have been given everything we have from God, whether we think it's small or big, and too many of us are using it to consume for our own comfort and our own well-being, and no wonder we're not experiencing what Esther did. You see, Esther had to take a risk with her life because one of the most powerful men serving King Xerxes in this day was a guy named Haman. Better pronounced, Haman. You know, because he was an ego-driven maniac. But he had the power. He was in position. And, and here's the conflict of the story. Haman hated the guy who had adopted Esther Mordecai. And he hated him because he was a Jew, and he hated him because as a Jew, he only worshipped the one true God and wouldn't bow down and worship Haman. And Haman was such a small man that if anyone didn't worship him, he felt like a nobody and he had to eliminate him. But it wasn't good enough for Haman to just destroy Mordecai. The Jew, he had to eliminate all Jews because he wanted everyone to worship him as if he was God. Only small people needed that, and that's what Haman was. And so he convinced King Xerxes to pass a law that on a certain date in the future, every single Jew in the Persian Empire would be annihilated. And Haman took it on himself to kill Mordecai. He was going to take this guy out. And so he worked all his magic and he influenced the king and he set up all the pieces on the table the right way. And and then the time had come. The next morning he was going to go into the palace and he was going to convince King Xerxes to let him kill Mordecai. And why wouldn't it happen? He had convinced him to pass a law to annihilate all Jews. And so the night before he built a 75-foot platform to hang Mordecai on. Now I need you to know, Unless Mordecai was a really tall guy, 75-foot platform was a bit extravagant. You only need about two foot of platform to hang a person and kill him. Why did he build a 75-foot platform? Because Mordecai wanted everyone to know, I'm the man and he's not. I have the power and he doesn't. I'm the most likely and he's a nobody. And then, God, as we'll see in this weekend talk, turns the tables... Because of Esther's faith, this woman, who could have easily thought she was a small nobody, trusted God and as a result understood that he made her to be a somebody, took a risk, saved the day, everything turned around, and Haman was the one that was hung on the 75-foot platform. That's a good story. Here's the ultimate plot of the book of Esther. The least likely in the entire world saved the day. And why did God give us her story? Because we all feel, most of us, like we're the least likely. And God has called you to save the day, to make a difference, to make an impact. And you'll never do it until you realize, like Esther did, that you can trust him no matter what. The relevant point for our lives is that though our lives can appear to be A bunch of random events, and even out of control, they're not. Our lives are planned by God, and our lives have purpose. And it's determined not by chance, but by choice. It's determined by God's choice. He's the one that created us and made us. He's given us purpose and plans, but it's determined by more than God's choice. His choice has been made, and it's for us, but it's also determined by our choice. And that's where we miss God's best because we can choose to trust him or we can choose to trust ourselves what I love about the book of Esther is that you have both kinds of choices you have Haman who took everything that God gave him and God gave him a lot position and capacity and opportunity and power and prosperity I mean God gave him a lot and yet he used everything God gave him to serve only himself at the expense of others and it made him though he declared himself big the smallest of them all, and a loser. Esther took what she had been given and used it not for herself, but to serve God and to benefit others, and she became the winner, the hero, the unlikely hero. Here's the truth that we need to get for ourselves. We're all designed for a positive purpose. I mean, I know personally, and as a pastor who gets the privilege of knowing a lot of people, I'm telling you, most of us look in the mirror, and we don't see someone who was created for a positive purpose. We don't see someone who can be significant. We don't see someone who can make a difference. We see someone whom those in high school told us we were. Not much of anything. But God tells us we've been designed for a positive purpose. Look what Ephesians 4.1 says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Though we might feel unlikely. God has made us to be significant in this world. We are chosen by God. Which would make a really good Disney movie called chosen <laughs> I think it could be successful I don't know Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them do you realize we have been chosen to reflect God in this world why are we believing the lie instead of accepting the truth Esther never saw herself as a nobody orphan She saw herself as a child of God, and as a result, she became a heroine. And God's looking for more of her. The application, as I see it, is simply this. If I'm going to fulfill the purpose God gave me, if I'm going to experience the value and worth God's given me, if I'm going to ultimately walk into the potential He's given to me, I have to make the right choices, and you have to do the same. We must make the right choices. But understand, the right choices are not the easy choices. The easy choices are to serve ourselves. The easy choices are to step on other people to get ahead. The easy choices are to rip other people down so we can move forward. But but the right choice is to do what Esther did. Jesus said it. Look at Matthew 16, verse 25. Whoever wants to save his life, they're going to lose it. But whoever is willing to lose their life for me will find it. That's the story of Haman and Esther. Haman. Haman tried to save his life and lost it. Esther gave her life to God and found it. Now here's the challenge for me, and I bet you it is for you. We kind of know this, right? Not all of us, but most of us, we kind of know this. We're making wrong choices, we're serving ourselves, we should serve others, it's not going well. But the difficulty comes in actually living this way, and what amazes me about Esther is that she didn't just talk the line, she lived it. And I, I want the end of my story to be like hers. I want the end of your story to be like hers, but the only way it becomes like hers is if we make the right choices, not the easy choices when it's really tough. And so I believe the reason God gave us this book about her story is because he wants us to learn from her the principles that are required to make the right choices. And so important are these principles that I get from her in my life now that they've become the foundation of my entire prayer life, my prayer journal. It's centered on these principles I'm going to share with you right now. Now, that doesn't mean I always do right. I do wrong a lot, but it's only because I walk away from these principles instead of living by them. What are these principles that she lived on that helped her to make the right choices in a very difficult world? The first one was this. She never lost sight of... fact that God is always in control. God is always in control, always. Even when it seems the world is out of control. Here she was in this world where everything was spiraling out of control. She became queen, it seemed to be all going so well, and then a law was passed that was going to wipe out all Jews and her cousin Adopted dad said you have to go fix this with the king and she says I can't he'll kill me He hasn't invited me in he says you have to go in fact look at how it's spoken in the word esther chapter 4 I'll begin with verse 16 Mordecai says go uh, To her you've got to go and she finally says okay and esther says go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me this is one of the four big cities in the Persian Empire It was the winter retreat for the king and he says, I, Mordecai, I'll go, but you need to get all of your friends together and you need to fast, which means you need to pray and all that for me. And I'm going to get all the people in my world, my maids, and, and we'll fast just as you're fasting. And when this is done, when we've, when we've let it all go, given it to God, basically, I'll then go to the king, even though it's against the law, even though I could die. And look what she says, if I perish. I perish. And when he saw the Queen Esther, this is the king, saw her come in uninvited, standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. God gave her favor in the sight of the king. Do you realize she said, if I perish, I perish. You know what she thought? She could die when she walked in to see him. And she did it anyway. Why? Because she wasn't made queen for her own comfort. She was made queen to make a difference. She knew God was in control. Here's what I think we should learn about this. It's never a risk to trust God because God controls the outcomes. Now here's the problem. Every day we are challenged with the idea that maybe we shouldn't trust God because it's too risky. But the truth is the opposite. The only great risk in life is not to trust Him because He determines the outcomes. And I love how God gave us this book about Esther because it's the only book in all of the Bible where his name's not mentioned. God's name. In fact, a lot of people for a long time have thought, maybe this book shouldn't even be in the Bible. I mean, God's name is not even found in the book of Esther. Not one time. Why is this book important? Because though God's name is not mentioned and God is not seen in any kind of supernatural way, this story is all about What God did in the life of Esther. And here's why that's important. Esther had to live her life in her day and trust God in her day the same way we do. She experienced no supernatural miracles from God. God didn't show up in the form of an angel and say, boo. He didn't talk to her. He didn't send a hand to write on a wall. There were no special messages. There were no special miracles. There were no special prophets. There was nothing. Silence is what she heard. And yet she trusted God anyway. She knew that though she didn't see him or hear him, he was in control. And she needs to become our hero. Here's what we can learn. Though he is out of sight, he is never far away. Though he is unseen, he is clearly working. Though hidden from our eyes, he's not hiding from us and he's not unaware of what we're experiencing in this world. And though we're unable to feel him or touch him or hear him, he is always there, willing to guide us if we do what she did, trust him. Sadly, too many never experience their potential in this world because they forget that he's always in control. They start believing, like Haman, that they're in control. But they're not. And so I want to encourage you, don't ever forget, God is never silent, though you don't hear his voice. He has spoken in his word, and what he spoke, you can trust. And God is never still. He is always working, whether you can see him or not. And what makes our stories great is trusting him, what makes our stories pitiful is not trusting him. We'll make the right choice, like Esther, when we know he's always in control. Another thing I see in, the, in her story is that she understood that God is always able. I mean, God is always able. It seems like in this world that often we are in a hopeless place that, that disaster's inevitable, but she understood that it's never hopeless, it's never inev- inevitable because God is able. In fact, she understood that in the end, God always wins. Uh, In Esther chapter 7, verse 10, this great turn of events is spoken. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. With God, in the end, he always wins. Now, to which some of you said, oh yeah, in this story he does. But you know, in a lot of stories, the people trusting him die. Yes, they do. But do you think that means god loses what changes when a person trusting god dies only one thing they go from being alive in a dark and broken and disappointing world to being alive in god's presence nothing changes but what they're experiencing not one second is lost god always wins. And the way we win with him is not by deserting him because we might die, but by trusting him even though we're going to die. And that's what Esther did. God's always able. I make different choices in my life when I remember that God is in control and that God is able. You will too. will become like Esther. I also learned from her that, that God always provides where he guides Now, he doesn't provide for us so that we can go where he doesn't guide. He doesn't provide for us so that we can live lives he hasn't planned for us. He provides exactly what we need to become everything he's created us to become because in that place, we will experience his best. God not only made the way for her to become queen when there was no chance of it, but he then made the way for her to make a difference for an entire nation of people. She influenced the king, this little orphan Jewish girl. Mordecai said in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 to to Esther, Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. You know, the temptation is God puts us in a place where we seem comfortable, where we seem prosperous, our life seems to be good. It's tempting to then use it just for our benefit. Who cares about the poor or the hurting or the people we could help? I mean, I have to protect myself. But he said, don't think because you're the queen this law won't affect you. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, God's still going to achieve his purposes. He'll give deliverance for the Jews, but you and your father's family will die And then he says, and who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God made you queen, not for the comfortable bed and the designer clothing. God made you queen so you could make a difference. But the only way we do the right thing in moments like that is when we trust God instead of trusting ourselves. She did. God provided the way for her to make a difference. He moved the king to listen to her and God will do the same for us. We will experience God's perfect provision in our lives when we choose to live our lives for his plans and purposes rather than our own. And I have to be honest, often I feel like I've drawn the short straw on what I need in life, personally and professionally. But the truth is, I have everything I need from God to become everything God has planned for me and when I want more than what God has given me, I'm saying I want a different plan than what God has for me. I'm playing the role of Haman instead of the role of Esther. And so are you. There's another very important principle in her life that helps me make the right choice. And it's a principle, to be honest, I don't like. And it's the truth that God's timing is always perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely hate God's timing. But his timing is perfect. So this guy named Haman, who wanted to annihilate all the Jews, and wanted to destroy this one guy named Mordecai by hanging him on those 75-foot gallows, made all of his plans the night his Christmas Eve, his killing Mordecai Eve came and he was celebrating with all his family. He convinced the king of everything he knew when he walked into the palace the next morning. He knew the king would give him permission and his archenemy, Mordecai, would be dead. <laughs> but see, he didn't know that God's timing was perfect, but Esther trusted that it was. And look what happened in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That night, that night, just before Haman was going to come and get permission to kill Mordecai, that night, the king could not sleep. Think it was a coincidence, maybe? So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Now, you have to put it in context. You have to understand. They didn't have Ambien or Tylenol PM. So he had to have them read the history of his reign. That's how boring it must have been. And, and, and they would read his history, and he would go to sleep. And so in this moment, God did not allow him go to sleep, and God caused the one portion of the history of his reign that was necessary for the right thing to happen in this moment look what it was it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed two guys but and Teresh two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes the king had forgotten this Haman didn't know it but this record when he couldn't sleep that was read to him reminded the king Mordecai saved his life and so In that moment, at the perfect time, Haman comes in and says, hey, King Xerxes, and the king says, before you talk, let me ask you a question. If I want to honor someone, what should I do? And Haman thought he wanted to honor him. And by the way, we're the same way. We think it's all about us too. When you opened the annual yearbook, who were you looking for? So he thought, he wants to reward me. And so since he thought he was going to be rewarded, you know what he did, right? He gave the most lavish idea for honoring someone he could think of. And he couldn't wait until it was him. And then the king said, what a great idea. That's what I want you to do for Mordecai. And he was mortified. Because he knew it was all coming, crashing down right then. You know what this story teaches us? God's timing is perfect. But you know, in order to make the right choice in life, we have to not just know it, we have to stake our lives on it. And Esther and Mordecai did. If you choose not to trust God's timing, then you're going to end up like Haman, making plans for yourself that ultimately become your worst nightmare. But when you trust God, though it's not easy, it always leads to his perfect solutions. As with Esther, there will be seasons when we have no clue what God is up to, when it looks like he has forgotten and he has forsaken us. But know this, he hasn't. He doesn't forget and he doesn't forsake. And making the right choices in life is easier when we remember, though his timing doesn't match ours, his timing is perfect and you can trust him. Another thing... I learned from Esther that I think could help you in making the right choices, to living the life that God has for you, what seems to be an unlikely hero life, is the simple principle that God's plans are always unique to us and at the same time perfect for us. We compare ourselves to others and we want what other people have and we wonder why God hasn't given us what other people have, but... The reason God hasn't given us what other people have is because he's created for us a different story. We don't need what other people have. We need what only we need for our story. And we think that other stories are better than ours, but not for us. Because if we perfectly experience someone else's story, do you know what happens? We're still empty, we're still small, and it still ends poorly. That's what Haman was doing. But when we accept the story God's created for us and... And we understand it's perfect for us. That's when life begins. Esther chapter 4 verse 14. And who knows. But that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. As an orphan in a difficult and dangerous world. I'm sure Esther thought that God's plans were totally messed up. But when she made the choice to trust him anyway. She found out that his plans for her were unique, one-of-a-kind plans, and perfect for her. And the same will be true for us. If we make the choice she made, the choice to trust him, we too will become that unlikely hero. But you need to know this isn't just a story about one lady back in history. This is your story and mine. And... We thought we'd share it with you through sharing the story of a young lady here at Northridge who, like Esther, could think that God has really messed up, but her life is making an impact in our world today because she's decided she's going to trust that God's right. Here's her story.
1: I want to dance. I miss dancing. I miss being able to be graceful and fluid in movements, and I miss that. My mom said the first sign that she saw was that I was having trouble on a pair of um, skates. By that time, I I was five, and my older brother was 12, and he had already been diagnosed. And they had told her, do you have other kids? She said she knew right away when she saw me on the skates. It is a form of muscular dystrophy, but it kind of stands alone because it's a neurological-based disease. It's not a muscle-wasting disease. Both parents have to be carriers of the gene, and about one in 50,000 people have F.A. So I can remember going to get diagnosed the doctor came in and there were all these interns. So there are all these people sitting in the room. And this doctor just looks at me and goes, do you know what I'm gonna tell you? And I, I just, without missing a beat, I was like, oh I know, I know I have it. I had seen my older brother go through the same symptoms and the same struggles that I was dealing with. You know, at 12 years old, Some of the things he told me He said, you're not going You're not looking at the same The same future That you thought you would have
2: Pray to God you can call I'll stand outside this woman's work, this woman's world. Oh, it's hard on the man. Now his part is over. Now starts the craft of the father.
1: My older brother, he, he's about eight years older than I am. Watching. Him die of something that I have. I didn't think of it that way. In the moment, I thought I'm, I'm losing my brother. He's he's not gonna be. I think it was at the funeral. <sighs> it was the first time that I really I could see in other people's eyes that they were looking at me almost with a time clock, like. How will Robin fare? You just get to the point where, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on this one. I, I can't wrap my head around what God's plan was with the timing of that. But one day I'll understand. I should be crying,
2: but I just can't let it show. I should be
1: Whether you have a disease like mine or not, if I live to be 70, if I live to be 40, if I live to be 30, that does not shape off any time of eternity. You know, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be with my family, my brother, my, my God, you know, and in the meantime, I want to live I want to fight for what God wants me to fight for. I want to follow the opportunities that He sets my path. God is big enough to bring each of us, any of us that are willing to trust in Him, He's willing to make us big enough to handle the job.
2: said you would be with me and I know you're here with me so give
1: every morning or go to Lansing and fight for public transportation for people with disabilities. It's not because I'm such an inspiration. It's because I serve a pretty awesome God. Oh,
2: Jesus, make it go. Just make it go.
0: When bad stuff happens, and it will, it's easy to believe that God is missing it or that God is messing up. It's easy to interpret the circumstances of our lives by comparing them to others and thinking somehow God's ripped us off, we've drawn the short straw. It's just not true. God's not messing up. God's not missing it. He sees. He's able and willing to use all that's going on in our lives, the good and the bad, to fulfill his purposes. We just have to trust him like Esther did. We have to remember that though we may be invisible to everyone else in the world, we're not invisible to him. Though we may seem... Unlikely to everyone else, we're not to him. To him, we're the most likely. He's made us for the story that we're supposed to live. This was true for Esther, and she trusted his promises. True for Robin, and you need to know, she serves with special needs on our prayer team, so invested. She's trusting his promises the best she can, and it's true for each and every one of us but we have to make the right choice to trust Him. And that's what I want to encourage you each and every one to do. This is not for others, this is for you. Trust Him. Some of you are here in Plymouth, some in Brighton right now as we worship together and some of you watching online, and the truth is some have never yet trusted Him for even the forgiveness they need for what Jesus came to offer, a relationship with God that we can't have on our own. And I just want to encourage you, don't leave this moment without trusting him. Others of us have trusted him for forgiveness, but we're not trusting him for our story now. We're not trusting that he's in control, that he's able, that that he's providing exactly what we need to live the perfect story, That that the story he's made for us is perfect, that his timing is perfect. We're just not trusting him. We need to start trusting Him fully because when we do, that's when our story becomes what it's supposed to be. And so, here's what we do at Northridge these days. We're going to pray to end the service, but that's not the end of the service because, see, God's working in you. And I believe some of you really need to take a step, a next step of faith and... You probably shouldn't do it alone. And so we have a prayer team here at Northridge. It's true there at Brighton. It's true here in Plymouth. And all you have to do is when we pray and we say goodbye is you just come down forward. It won't be in front of everyone because everyone else is leaving and our prayer team is down here and you just sit down front and the prayer team will be there. And if you'd like to ask questions or have someone pray with you or pray for you or trust Christ, you come and they'll help you. For those of you watching online, just contact us through northridgechurch.com. We'd love to help you as well. But right now, what I'd like to do is just pray for all of us that we would trust him with our story. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that Esther shows that the least likely in your hands become the most likely. It's the most likely without you who become the least likely. And so I pray that each and every one of us right now would trust you. And I'll thank you for what you do in our lives and through our stories. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, as you leave, God can use you, wants to use you, plans to use you. But you have to trust him. And when you trust him, you become that unlikely hero. See you next week.